How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. As always, I'm joined by Frank Madden. Frank, how are you? I'm doing great, Eric. How you doing? It's almost Friday. Or it is Friday when you when people hear this. <laughs> yes, it is Friday when people hear this. And <laughs> as we get to the end of the week, uh, we are kind of trying to figure out... I think we're going to do some more training camp translations. Uh, I know some interesting things have been said about um, three-pointers. And I think we'll probably talk about that at the start of next week. Uh, but we instead decided to go with a look at our mailbag. So we asked you guys to tweet some stuff at at us. Uh, Frank sent us out on Thursday night. We're now recording at about 8.30 here on Thursday night. And you guys have filled up his uh, mentions a little bit. So with that, I'm going to hand it over to Frank. And Frank's going to start asking some questions. Sure. So... We had a number of Thon Maker questions. Uh, we did find out today Thon has the sprained wrist. X-rays were negative. He was back in camp uh, with a, kind of a wrist guard on. He was shooting left <laughs> left-handed uh, at practice today. Doesn't seem serious, uh, um, although unclear if he'll be able to participate in the open scrimmage or the Monday first preseason game. Obviously, it would be great to see him, but. You know, can't imagine they'll, they'll risk anything. So hopefully he gets healthy quickly. But had a few questions, uh, starting with uh, our good friend Joe Zenzola from uh, 105.7. The fan, Joel, asks, will Thon get any minutes this year? And Eric, I guess we kind of, we, we took a first crack at this before the Middleton injury, before the Beasley move, where we kind of picked 800 minutes as our over-under, and you made the case for the over, and I made the case for kind of the, like, barely under <laughs> um are, are you sort of still in the same spot or, or how do you feel about Don's likelihood of getting minutes this year I think I feel pretty good about it um I'm trying to think I I was looking up some numbers before so I was looking at all the rookies that Jason Kidd has coached in his three-year coaching career so that'd be 2013 and 14 in Brooklyn and then 2014-15 and 2015-16 in Milwaukee and 2013-14 he had Mason Plumley, one of the Plumley brothers, Mason Plumley, and Jorge Gutierrez, also a former Buck, um, and Plumley got 1,275 minutes. Uh, Gutierrez only got 244, and with the Bucks, uh, we'll go with in 2014-15. Uh, the Bucks picks were Jabari and Johnny O'Brien, and Jabari got 738 minutes in just 25 games played before his. Uh, his uh, injury, so he didn't quite get to that 800-minute mark, but he would have been on pace for considerably more than that. Um, Johnny O'Brien only got 368 minutes in his rookie year. Uh, then the Bucks traded for Tyler Ennis, so he was technically a rookie when he first got to the Bucks. Uh, he appeared in 25 minutes after the trade deadline that season for 350 minutes or so. Um, 
And then last year, Rashad Vaughn and Damian Inglis, Vaughn played 1,100, or excuse me, 1,001 minutes, and Damian Inglis played 156 minutes. So it appears to me that Jason Kidd likes to play his first round picks, because uh, that'd be 1,275 for Mason, uh, for Mason Plumley, 1,001 for Rashad Vaughn, and what would have been considerably more for Jabari Parker um, if he would have played the full season. So I'm I'm still feeling pretty good that this is going to happen. And this is one of the higher picks uh, that Jason Kidd will get to coach. Obviously, Jabari Parker uh, was two overall and would have played a lot more. But Plumlee was like 22, and Vaughn was, what was he that year? Um, I'm trying to think back. 17. Yeah. 17. Vaughn was 17 that year. So this is one of the higher picks, a top 10 pick. And, I mean, the Bucks aren't probably going to be in contention for much of anything this season so i feel pretty safe saying that he's going to get over that 800 minute mark um and i wouldn't be surprised if he plays around a thousand i know there's the log jams with the centers but i i just think they'll find a way to get him on the floor um this this upcoming season I, i'm pretty i'm pretty confident in that yeah you know i'm i'm coming around to that as well i think there are a couple data points that are important here one, John Hammond and, and Jason Kidd both have implied during the summer after seeing him in Vegas that they think he'll be a rotation guy this year. And, you know, they don't have to do that, right? They can manage expectations and, you know, play the long game and not put that type of expectation on him. But they they have done that, which I think is meaningful, especially because Jason Kidd's a guy whose decision it will be to play him. Um, and then I think the other big thing, as you mentioned, the logjam I mean, if one of the centers gets moved, then all of a sudden, I think there's a whole bunch more um, potential minutes uh, at the big spots, both power forward and center. Um, well, realistically, more center because none of the other books, big guys are, are really capable of playing the power forward spot. But you know, you're one injury away from um, Thonmaker playing, you know, every night, 15 to 20 minutes. I think at that, uh, you know, again, a thousand minutes. Um, that's only you know over an 82 game schedule. Um, obviously he'll DNP some probably, but you know, it's only like what 12 or 13 minutes a night effectively. Um, so I think that he could definitely get to a thousand. I think the other thing to mention, I mean, not just, not, not only has, has, uh, Jason Kidd played, uh, his various rookies, you know, in some cases a decent amount of minutes, he's played those guys way more than he probably deserved to play. Uh, you know, when you look at J.O.B. the last two years, getting on the court and actually seeing real minutes, uh, even, you know, getting some of those J.O.B. starts, granted, not real starts, but, you know, J.O.B. starts. Um, Rashad Vaughn well, playing I love that that's a, a term rookie. now. I love that that's a term. It's a J.O.B. start. Um, <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I, I think somehow, some way, it's like kind of one of those deals, you know, opening night, I don't think Thonmaker necessarily plays, but uh, in the grand scheme of this season and the likelihood that it and, you know, just Thonmaker being a guy that, that people with the team seem to be high on um, and not playing the, you know, kind of managed expectations game, I think uh, I think Thon has a chance to play. Um, Follow-up question. How likely is it for Thon to have a Giannis-like ascension? That's from Grandpa Turner, uh, and so we just we just uh, kind of were bullish on Thon. Uh, I'm going to strike a decidedly less bullish tone on Thon in regards to a Giannis-like ascension. But uh, what's your take on that one, Eric? Well, a Giannis-like 
Ascension is a top 50 NBA player by, let's see, the start of year four. Is that correct? Is that is that an accurate assessment of where Giannis is? For sure. By the uh, yeah, by, or, or say it this way, by the end of year three, he was, I think, a top 50 NBA player even. That seems unlikely. Not because yeah. Thon doesn't have the skill set, not because Thon doesn't have potential, just because being one of the 50 best players in the NBA is really freaking hard. Um, it, it it would be, I mean, for the Bucks to kind of hit on two guys, one at 10 and one at 15, that both become top 50 NBA player, players, I mean, that's that'd be some very good drafting. The numbers would suggest that that isn't really possible and certainly isn't likely. Um, but again, Thon does that have that tool set and uh, maybe it, it could be possible, but it, it doesn't seem likely that he could do that. I know I've always kind of tried to temper expectations with him since he was drafted and say, well, I mean, even if he is a seven foot and like seven foot energy guy that dunks block shots and rebounds, that's extremely useful in the NBA and whether or not he can parlay those skills and maybe a three point shot into being a top 50 guy is yet to be seen. And again, remains pretty unlikely, but he he could still be a solid player without taking a, making a Giannis like Ascension. Yeah. I I think, I mean, when you were saying, you know, not that he doesn't have X, Y, and Z, I mean, you mentioned skill. I, I think that's the big question for me. I, I'm not sold that he has sort of the, that he's going to have sort of the, the offensive skill. He really, you know, a high-level NBA player. Um, I would love to be proven wrong, obviously, by that. Um, I think his, uh, his three-point shot is probably the most important thing, and I, I think he actually does have a chance to be a, a pretty solid shooter. Uh, and, and realistically, he doesn't need to develop much else offensively. Uh, if he's a you know high energy defender uh, who can defend in space, block some shots, rebound you know adequately, um, you know if he can finish rim rolls and you know, knock down open threes, he's going to be a really valuable player. And probably if he does all that, he can be a top fifty player. And I'd argue if the Bucks want to like actually contend for something in three or four years, um, they probably need him to become that guy um, because you know unless again maybe the three, puts him in the top 10 this year. I think that's very possible. Um, maybe they can get him like that this year in the draft, but I think at least one guy on a cheap contract to go with these, you know, young guys that are going to be getting bigger contracts over the next few years. <clears throat> and I think they're going to need um, to have that kind of, you know, call it luck or good drafting, whatever you want to call it. I think they're going to need to get a fair bit from Thon. Oh, well, if he's decent at all, that's great. No, I think you kind of need him to be good, um, even if there's, oh, and, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I, I think a Giannis-like ascension is an incredibly high bar, uh, so I definitely don't think that. Um, but could he be a good NBA player? Absolutely. Could he be a great NBA player? Um, that That's tough. Um, but, again, I think he does the skill set. Not only could he be a, a good NBA player, but he's an NBA player who's kind of sneakily more valuable than maybe his you know raw stats suggest if he can be that kind of like in-space defensive type guy. But um, I guess we'll see. Uh, follow-up question from Grandpa Turner. Who's your rookie of the year pick? Eric, do you want to take the plunge? Do you have a guy that you think is definitely 
rookie of the year pick. I guess the I'm kind of looking for guys that are going to be playing on teams that I think are going to give them a lot of opportunities. Like a guy like Chris Dunn, well, I don't love that he's got to play with Ricky Rubio or around Ricky Rubio, so that's not great. The Celtics with Jalen Brown, I, okay, the Celtics are going to be good, so Jalen Brown's probably not going to get a ton of opportunity. Simmons seems pretty logical with the Sixers. Um, maybe some of the guys with the Suns, if things go wrong, Jamal Murray with the Nuggets maybe has a chance. Um Maybe, like, we've mentioned Sabonis before um, for Oklahoma City. Maybe he could break out and do something cool in a playoff team. Not that that's normally something that's rewarded by Rookie of the Year voters. Simmons seems like the safest pick to me, um, even though I'm sure it's going to be um, a bit of a debate whether or not he's actually good because he doesn't have a jump shot, and there's going to be all sorts of hot takes about that that I'm not really all that interested in hearing. Um, but... I'll go Ben Simmons. That was a total cop out. I'm sorry. Yeah, that was. Yeah, well, that 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 was my inclination as well. I think you start with and who's going to be starting slash featured. Um, you know, they're going to be there. They're never a ton of rookies who start. I mean, Buddy Heald is a guy midline, uh, and all he does, you know, his only skill is is scoring points, which tends to be the thing that you know is. Uh, asymmet- asymmetrically re- rewarded by rookie of the year voters, they tend not to care about other stuff. Um, but I, I don't think Buddy Hield's going to score enough to, you know, beat uh, and and beat out guys uh, like Ben Simmons. Um, I'm I'm kind of like Brandon Ingram. I I don't I just think he's probably a little too raw. Probably, although I imagine he'll get a lot of opportunity in LA given how young they are. Um, but I just I don't know. He he looked very young. <laughs> at in Vegas <laughs> and I think Simmons is the kind of guy I don't think he's necessarily going to I'd be surprised if he you know led rookies in scoring for instance um, but I think he's going to do a bunch of stuff he'll probably rebound okay he'll get you know good he'll, he'll kind of get people I think with his with his passing and playmaking ability so he probably can put up a, a good all-around stat line um, do you think by the way do you think Joel Embiid has any chance of being rookie of the year or do you think he won't play enough minutes type risk Ooh, that's an interesting one. I that's like a total dark horse pick. I just don't know if he's going to play enough, um, given that they'll probably sort of treat him with kid gloves, and he probably won't start. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, man, I didn't. Even, I didn't even think. I was just thinking. Oh, let me look at the draft from this year. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you would think this. He's been around and like an NBA staff for years now. Uh, and that's always kind of the big thing. Like, does he know how to work at an NBA level? Does he know what it takes to be an NBA player? And one of the ways to learn that is to be around an NBA staff. So, um, yeah, man, that might, he might be one of my like top three for rookie of the year. Like that could actually happen, but obviously I would probably want to see him actually play first before I'd put him in my top three. Fair, fair. Um, oh, so this one, I, I shouldn't. This is an unfair question because I didn't put it in the list that I made up right before we started. Um, but uh, Jonathan Zuckerbrod uh, of the Bucks, Jonathan always loves to throw us um, sort of annoying questions in our in our uh, podcast. Mailbags. Don't say annoying. And they're fun. They're well. They're fun. I say annoying in a fun way. <laughs> um, speaking of speaking of which, can you guess what Zuckerbrod means in German? Uh, is it some sort of bread? Yes, 
Sugar bread. Ooh. Sugar bread. Okay. Zuckerbrot. Anyway, <laughs> I, I guess Jonathan probably it wouldn't. Be, it, that, wouldn't but... it wouldn't be the Locked On Bucks podcast without Frank no. going totally perfect on some weird pronunciation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll throw in a Jakob Pertl there. We didn't talk about Jakob in the Rookie <laughs> of the Year uh, discussion. I don't think he's in it, but uh, Pertl. Uh, anyway, uh, Jonathan asks a really important question, which is, what is Thon's spirit animal? <laughs> I thought I could get it out without laughing. Um, Do you have an answer? Do you, is there is there something that leaps out at you for what is Thon's spirit animal? Are there traits in an oh, animal yeah. that would oh, be yeah. Thon's yeah. Yeah, spirit animal? Um, it's got to be a bird of prey, um, preferably oh. with a longish like a longish wingspan. Um, maybe some sort of eagle. Um, I don't know. A, I don't know if a bald maybe like a golden eagle or something. I, I'm trying to think of what like the longest wingspans are for birds but it should be something that does a lot of swooping and uh some violent <laughs> actions because uh, i think that would accurately uh kind of show thon swooping in for dunks or blocks um so i'm gonna go with a bird of prey preferably a larger bird of prey um okay the the uh the the long the largest wingspan uh, of a living bird is the wandering albatross <laughs> Oh wow, that's almost that. Just that name sounds perfect. Yeah, yeah. That actually, that that actually is pro- wandering albatross. Um, given his contract and defensive abilities, that sounds like more of a Greg Monroe spirit animal. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, maybe maybe for for your purposes, it would be uh, it would be Thunmaker. But um, I was actually going a different direction. Um, I was going to say something that like covers ground very well and gracefully. Mm. Um, so I was thinking of like a gazelle or something like that. Okay. Um, something like quick. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know. I don't. And yeah. Uh, I don't know if they have gazelles, and I don't know if what animals are in South Sudan where he's born. Um, and I don't want to pick like an Australian animal, like a wallaby or something like that, because I don't feel like that's. Although maybe a wallaby, you know, a kangaroo or something. But I don't feel like that. I don't. I don't. I don't. I feel like I feel like a gazelle's a little bit too graceful for thon like it should be something like aren't there some weirder um i'm trying to man i really need to watch planet earth again uh to think of some animals but i feel like there's some uh some sort of animal that's out there that's gazelle like but has like real long legs and is kind of uncoordinated and i I can't think of what they're called right now but i that to me that's more thon not not a giraffe (laughs) Let's be clear. No, right? I was not looking for giraffe. I, I do appreciate that, though. Although my my wife occasionally said during uh, Giannis when she first started watching in basketball in Giannis's rookie year, and she sometimes referred to Giannis and John Henson as the baby giraffes because they had sort of that like you know unnaturally skinny mm-hmm. kind of like you know John Henson's probably more has that had a little bit of awkwardness in the way he moved. Giannis didn't obviously wasn't awkward, but anyway, okay, I think we've talked way too much about. Milwaukee Bucks spirit animals. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's let's move on. Uh, we have a, a bunch that are Chris Middleton related um, or Chris Middleton adjacent. Um, this one this one could be like a whole podcast, and let's just say it's it's. Let's just be really quick about it. <laughs> um, Todd uh, Pilprin, the handle Pilprin, asks what trade options are legit for a Middleton replacement that also also thins the five position. So I think. Todd is thinking about it right. 
Yep. Ideally, you trade a five for a wing, and then that wing, obviously, as we've discussed previously, would, would be around even after Chris gets healthy and hopefully can be a, a good backup, which I think if you look at the Bucks summer, you know, you'd say, where did John Hammond kind of fall flat? Where did the Bucks kind of fall flat? It was in, uh, in finding wing depth um, because all of us are sitting around saying, Rashad Vaughn potentially starting at shooting guard? Huh? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if you have any specific ones. I mean, we talked about guys that, that you know, might be of interest, you know, like the, eh, what's, what, what would Macklemore cost? Um, you know, but a lot of these are difficult. Like, why would the Kings want a center, right? They don't, yeah. they don't need any centers. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, I'm sure the Bucks will be shopping for, for wings, but um, it might be difficult to find uh, a taker. And certainly for, for Greg Monroe, right? If Greg Monroe could have been traded for uh, a shooting wing, then that would have happened, you know, three months ago. But obviously, here we are. Yeah, I think kind of the big thing to think about is why would a team make a trade with the Bucks? Like the teams, like the teams around the league, aren't actively trying to help the Bucks. It's like, oh, the, man, Middleton's out for the Bucks. How can we help them? No, they're worried about their team again, their roster rights. So, for the most part, if you're looking for a more legitimate option than say Michael Beasley, it's not going to be a guy a team's willing to trade. Like, what what is their motivation behind giving that guy up? Um, so. Either they would need to have too many of a certain position, or too many wings, which in the NBA probably isn't really a thing. Like I, I can't think of a team that has too many wings. Maybe the Celtics, um, and then, or in the other case, someone that needs a big. And it's tough to kind of try to think of those teams. We talked about this a little bit before we got on the air here, but we said. Maybe the Miami Heat with the Chris Bosh situation. Um, maybe they would be looking for a center. I'm not 100% sure on that if they would be. Uh, but then at the same time, if the Heat do need a center, what do you want back from the Heat? And would they be willing to give it up? Like I can't imagine they're willing to give up a guy like Richardson. Uh, he, no. was, he was a nice surprise for them last year on a cheap contract. They, they're they not going to just try to give up those types of players. So to to think of a legitimate option for Middleton is kind of a it's a tough it's a tough thing to do because there's so many don't even bother. pieces don't even don't even don't even think in terms of actually replacing Chris Middleton well yeah, just uh, yeah lower your standards I think in a deal yeah okay let's go to a two-part question these are somewhat related and this is a this is its own podcast so we're going to have to do this quick, but uh, our very own Steve Von Horn asked, what constitutes success or failure for the team this year? And Peter Fox 21 asked, does Middleton's injury delay the process or do the young bucks keep on getting better without him? And I think implicit in Peter's question for me is an answer to Steve's question, which is, I think success is the bucks, young guys getting better, hopefully being somewhat successful on the court. Um, granted, if they are horrible and get a high draft pick, that is its own reward that, you know, we can go down that rabbit hole maybe some other time. Um, but for me, it's it's really just the internal improvement, um, especially of Giannis and Jabari. And that, to me, I think we've said this for like two or three straight years now, but that is basically the number one most important thing. And especially now with Chris Middleton out, for me, that everything comes back to that and, um, I don't even know what a, a win total would be that 
you know, would would qualify as success or failure. I don't know if you if you have. I don't a, think Steve uh, would want one. The, the Steve wouldn't want a win total for that. He would want us to get into uh, a much more existential philo- discussion. Yes, a much more philosophical existential type discussion. I'm almost thinking about boycotting this question until Steve gets on the podcast <laughs> to actually talk to us about it. Um, but I. I will answer it, uh, and I, I don't feel good about this. Um, but I guess for me, success is answers. And when I say answers, I would like to know what's going on with anything going forward. You have <laughs> you have Miles Plumley, you have John Henson, you have Greg Monroe. What's happening there? It, is Plumley your starter for the next three to four years? Is John oh <laughs> is John Henson on the roster? Is Greg Monroe coming back? How does any of that sort itself out? Is Jabari Parker enough of a playmaker to be a number two option in the NBA? Or is he just a guy that's going to be able to continue scoring 18-ish points by just catching the ball and dunking it? Which, if he is, that's fine. But then that means when Chris Middleton returns, he needs to be the secondary playmaker. Um, What's going on at point guard? Is Michael Carter-Williams on the roster next season? Is Matthew Dellavedova actually a good fit with Giannis? Does that partnership work out between those guys? So I think there's a number of things that literally just playing the season out will give you answers, but you do have to give those players those opportunities. And I haven't even mentioned a guy like Rashad Vaughn. Is he an NBA player? And, and I think we should get an answer to that this season because there will be more than enough opportunity to ask that, I guess, kind of see what that answer is and let that play out. So uh, the thing that would frustrate me is if it would be all Greg Monroe, all MCW, and we don't get to see those other guys or get answers to those questions. Um, so I guess just sorting things out so that when Middleton returns, hopefully he returns as some something like himself before uh, the injury, and then you can kind of attempt to hit the ground running next season. Um, but answers is kind of what I'm looking for, and that was long and drawn out. And damn it, yeah, Steve. we failed. Damn it, we Steve. Failed miserably. Steve is just too good at it. Yeah, and hopefully we hit on Peter's question, uh, an answer for Peter's question, at least a little bit. But I think um, you know, again, the the measuring stick is is progress in developmental terms and not you know a next a set number of wins obviously um development should translate if it goes better than expected into but i i don't think uh it's necessarily something we need to throw a number on and say that anything less is bad um this one i think is quick uh tp courier asks who will be an active opening night alongside middleton uh if everyone's healthy steve novak right if it's anything other than steve novak i might cry <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, hopefully, who knows? Maybe, maybe somebody turns an ankle, something like that. But it Again, is interesting because I would cry, like even if it was just an ankle turn. Like I've seen enough injuries, I'm good. Okay, uh, and that's interesting. I think getting rid of Ennis uh, for Beasley, uh, you know, again thins out that point guard long jet log jam. Ennis would have been a good candidate uh, alongside Novak, um, but now with Middleton hurt, you only need one inactive. So um, I think Novak's probably the, the obvious guy, but. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, Michael Thomas asks, any chance Steve gets any playing time with Middleton out? Uh, I would say the odds of him playing are higher just because of that sort of trickle-down effect. He's not going to play shooting guard minutes, obviously. Um, 
Beasley coming in, you know, obviously would tend to take minutes away from a Steve Novak type guy, uh, given that, you know, again, you're talking about your forwards, probably more small ball fours than anything. How about uh, this, Frank? How about this? Over under? Yep. You're going to give me an over under? 200. 200 minutes. Basically, we're talking about Damian English minutes, right? That English is correct. Like a little under. Um, I'll go under. Yeah, me too. Okay. Um, next question. Uh, Peter Fox again asks, is Delhi in the conversations to start? Can he really play that hard defensively, i.e. 2015 finals for a whole season? Uh, I would be utterly flabbergasted if Delhi is not starting. I mean, if, if Della Vidova is not starting, then you know we need to have Jason Kidd go in for a CAT scan and see if he's having an aneurysm or something like that. Same thing, I would cry. If Del Vidova isn't starting, <laughs> I would cry. Yeah, I mean, as we mentioned before, I mean, he's basically the only guy on the roster left who is a, you could, you know, call a 3 and D player with a straight face. And yeah. uh, his shooting is, is absolutely essential now for the Bucks. So he's got to start. And then the question is, you know, who who is the other uh, small guy that defends guards that uh, that is going to start? See how I said that? So that Yeah, it was uh, good. I liked it. So that we can still call Giannis, point Giannis. Yeah. Um, uh, now that Middleton is out, how many PPG do you think Giannis and Jabari can score? That's our friend Kurt Lightinger asking the question. That is a that is a juicy question. That is a fun question. I'm going to let you handle it first. Oh, well, thanks, Frank. Um, so I guess before the podcast, I was pulling some stuff up and I somehow managed to get rid of that tab because I'm a genius, but we're doing uh, research today, people <laughs> like this. There's some organization going to this podcast. So, so I guess the interesting thing is that I think both of us probably would have thought around 18 to 19 at like the low end. And maybe one of those two goes above 20 uh, before the season. I think, if I'm if I've interpreted our other conversations correctly, that's where I think Frank would have put it. So where that goes then is, well, if you're going to take some of those points from Chris and add them to Giannis and Jabari, that means both of them would have to average more than 20 a game uh, for the season. And that is not the easiest thing to do. Um, I believe we had four people or four teams do that last year. And that would be golden state with clay Thompson and Steph Curry, Oklahoma city with Westbrook and Durant, uh, Toronto with, uh, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. And then finally, uh, Portland with CJ McCollum and Dame Lillard. So it is a thing that's possible. It's very difficult to do. Um, but if they don't, who else is scoring? Um, I, I'll, I'll probably take the over on both of those going for 20-plus a game. Um, I, I don't feel great about it just because I think Giannis is going to have such a heavy playmaking load that uh, some of those points might be assists for him. Um, and I think that would be the kind of struggle to get him above 20 if he was just – if he was just focusing on scoring and trying to score like Jabari probably will be, uh, I think it would be a little bit easier. But Giannis is also going to be asked to maybe dish out five, at least five assists per game. Um, so 20 and five, that's, that's a pretty special season. Um, and especially if you add in eight-ish rebounds, that's a heavy load uh, for a 22-year-old to lift. Uh, so I'll take both of them 
just slightly over 20, but I don't feel super confident in it, more so for Giannis than Jabari, which is saying something because Jabari averaged 19 post-All-Star break, but on the season, what was he at, like 15 or 16? Um, so it would be it would be a big increase from Jabari. Um, but I think both of them have to score. To give people a sense, last year, uh, Giannis, in all minutes without uh, Chris, was at uh, basically 20 points per 36 minutes. With Chris, he was at, I think, 16.3. Um, so he scored more with Chris on the bench. Um, Jabari, I think, was about even. Um, but when playing with Giannis, he averaged a, a little bit more points with which I mean, it kind of follows, right? Like, that's interesting. Was super efficient without Chris last year. He was actually sixty-one percent true shooting without Chris, fifty-five percent with him, which is pretty cool and encouraging. Yeah. Um, and I think in general, um, <clears throat> pretty much the more I think about, him, the more I mean, and this is not any revelation. The more I think, like, this is just Giannis's time to shine, right? Like, yeah. Uh, if this team's gonna be a good if this thing's going to be like a respectable defense, Giannis is going to have to basically turn into like a giant squid that <laughs> just envelops all humans. Man, uh, thank God we found end. a spirit animal. That one, yes. that one was going to keep me up at night. Oh, I didn't even. Yeah, giant even, squid. I, we got it. Perfect. Yeah, I didn't even think about the, the from a spirit animal perspective. But yeah, Giannis, giant squid. Uh, he's going to have to do just you know take it to another level defensively. Plus, he wants to live up to Jets' high expectations and. With the ball in his hands and one less good score to to pass to, he's going to have to score points. And so it's kind of funny. I, I'm almost nervous to sit here and say that both guys need points and think that's like super exciting. And basically, if you told us that two years ago, we would have all been like laughing giddily like little schoolgirls. <laughs> um, and obviously, the circumstances are not, you know, are, are not great just because a lot of it is because you know chris being out um but i think it's very possible uh, and i think the question is probably probably more around jabari um but uh again somebody's gonna score right i mean i don't think the bucks are gonna score more points without chris middleton but they're losing 18 points per game somebody's gonna pick up some of that slack yeah. and normally you'd say okay well who's gonna have the ball um, and i think especially with my likely starting or Greg Monroe likely coming off the bench. That also puts more pressure on Giannis and Jabari to score. And they may not be as efficient. You know, I think that's probably the big risk is that they, you know, become maybe slightly, you know, lower efficiency guys uh, than they were in the past because they are picking up more of that load and maybe shooting more threes and they're not going to be super efficient at threes. Um, but I think up to, to be really impressive. Um, okay. We talked a lot about that question, which was a fun one. Um, Let's see. Do we have any more in the Middleton area? Uh, no. Um, tangential to that, uh, we got the question of what constitutes a good year for Jabari. Um, and let's see who who asked me that. Uh, the pink sock <laughs> asked me. Uh, is that is that a that that seems like I don't even want to think about that. But anyway, uh, they asked what constitutes a good year from Jabari. Is it twenty points a game plus? not horrible defense what what hor- what constitutes a good year from jabari that's it so last week i did a twitter poll you're a basketball genie you get to pick one and do you pick jabari averaging 20 points per game or jabari being an average defender and i thought it was in it was super close the entire time i don't even know what it ended up being i think maybe like 
53-47 one way or the other, but very close. And I think those are kind of, I don't know, I guess that's how I would define success. And I think I lean more towards, if I'm trying to figure out if this is a successful season for Jabari, is is there some proof that he's not an awful defender? And if I can see some of that, I think it's a successful season for Jabari, even if he doesn't necessarily score 20 points per game. If he's not a terrible defender, I can work with that at least. I can I can figure out ways to use his athleticism. I can figure out ways to keep him on the floor uh, and get the good stuff out of him um, as long as that as long as he can survive defensively. Last year, I was not at all convinced that he could survive defensively. So for me, the biggest thing, success or failure for Jabari is can he play, I don't even want to say average, bad defense, bad from horrible. Like I need a J-O-B improvement. Uh, You don't need to be great yet, but just get better. And that that would make me feel a lot better about Jabari Parker. And the thing I would say is, I mean, if we're going to put like raw stats to it, which again, like raw stats are, you know, whatever. But <clears throat> I think from a raw stats perspective, I mean, if he was 18 plus points per game, I'd be happy with that on, on good efficiency, 18 points a game. I'm happy. It doesn't have to hit 20 um, rebounding wise. If he can become a better, especially defensive rebounder, that was a big issue last year. I mean, if he's an 18 and eight guy next year uh, with, you know, passable defense, watch out. Um, yeah, and I think and I think the passable defense is especially important because uh, who's defending good wings for the Bucks right now? It used to be Chris Middleton and Giannis. Now it's Giannis and whichever <laughs> random dude is playing shooting guard, Malcolm yeah. Brogdon. I don't, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think the pressures on Jabari, especially given that they like to put him as the year went on, they put him on more wings uh, that often were pretty good, um, just to you know keep him out of kind of pick and rolls and stuff. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure again, you know, again, Giannis and Jabari, if the Bucks are going to be anywhere close to good defensively, Giannis and Jabari both need to step up big time. Obviously Giannis is stepping up from a, a much higher baseline than, than Jabari. Um, next question. Uh, our friend, a riggedy ass is John Henson jealous of Darth Plumley? Yes. I mean, I, I don't know how he wouldn't be, uh, Plumlee's well, what if John Henson just doesn't care? <laughs> that that might be that would be probably the only reason that he wouldn't be. Uh, this by the this is also where where John Henson says, "Hey, I'm a power forward." No, you're not. You're not a power forward. Come on. No, John. Um, so yeah, I would say he probably is. Uh, Plumlee's going to start the season. Has Henson had that responsibility yet? Has he been the guy to start a season? Uh, no, I don't think he's had that. Um, obviously Henson's paid, so don't no jealousy there on the money. Um, but yeah, I would think he is. Uh, Plumlee's been kind of given uh, more responsibility than Henson has to start a season ever in his career. So yeah, I would say that would make sense. Yeah, I would say so. And yeah, and, and it would be nice. Again, uh, we've been saying it for well, probably since December. Uh, it would be nice if the Bucks could find a suitor for Greg Monroe and you know then you could play Henson and Plumlee a bunch of minutes at center each and well who knows at that point maybe Thon steals all of <laughs> Henson's minutes but uh, but anyway I, I, I again my my goal is that before John Henson out if he's actually good I'm still hopeful uh, we've talked about him being the best 
defensive center the Bucks have right now, at least. Uh, speaking of centers, this is an interesting question, which I think that recently and hinted at it insofar as we said we wanted no part of trying to answer this question. But now someone has asked it to us on a mailbag night, so we have to answer it. Uh, whoa, whoa, Jay whoa, 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 whoa. I do not want to set that precedent. <laughs> I, I will not answer any and all questions. I will answer questions that I want to answer. All right. Well, you can pass, but I will attempt to answer it. Jaywalks, ZZZ, asks, how much money will Greg Monroe command in free agency in 2017 if he opts out? What about Michael Carter-Williams? That is a very interesting question. Should I just answer it, Eric? Are you going to sit? Are you going to boycott this question, or no, should I try to answer no, it? No, I'll do it. Um, uh Monroe, let's go with. Uh, I really wish I had Ennis Cantor's contract in front of me. Oh, you don't want to see Ennis Cantor's contract. I think he's four years, sixty-eight or seventy million dollars. He's basically like the the same type of money that that Monroe's current deal is. Um, I guess maybe a little bit less than that. Like, I still think. I think the big thing with Monroe would be to opt out so that you could get more long-term security and Monroe as we've talked about time and time again, is a guy that will bet on himself and is not afraid to bet on himself. Um, so I could see him opting out so that he could sign either one, like a one year, like smaller contract with a, at a place where he thinks he could really show off. Um, I also think he could sign like a four year, mm, 60, um, somewhere in there. Um, maybe a little bit less, but I mean, there's still money to throw around. Uh, so uh, that's where I'd put Monroe MCW. <sighs> He's tough. Cause I, I was really thinking I was going to say Dion, or I really thought I was going to see Dion waiters get some money this off season and he, and he didn't. Um, I would say MCW's problems, his negatives aren't as bad as Dion Waiter's negatives. Uh, like MCW doesn't sit on the outside clapping his hands, begging for the ball, and generally acting like a petulant child. Like he doesn't do that. Um, so that's obviously helpful for him to actually get some money. Let me go with eight-ish a year. Okay. Uh, interesting to note. So the 2017 NBA free agent center class is totally dominated by restricted free agents so the interesting thing is you got rudy gobert steven adams norland's noel uh, mason plumley kelly olenic uh gorgie jang um, all those guys are restricted free agents and then among unrestricted free agents you've got monroe andrew bogut uh zaza tiago splitter you know basically it, 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 there's a big drop off from the restricted guys to the unrestricted guys um you know you could argue only bogut is really like a guy that you'd you know, definitely want over um, Monroe, or at least you know somewhere uh, there'd be a team. You know, there'd probably be a lot of teams that could use Andrew Bogut. Maybe there aren't that many teams that would want Greg Monroe, but I think somebody will want Greg Monroe. I mean, people wanted him um, last summer before the Buck. Uh, so, I mean, I think his floor is is probably in that you know ten to twelve million per year range. I mean, you know, we saw this summer teams. We're giving that to, you know, decent bench guys. Um, so I just have a hard time seeing him get less than that. Uh, the one thing, though, we will say is, as you mentioned, he's a guy who's taken less money to control his own destiny when he took the qualifying offer, turned down a long-term deal in Detroit. And, 
you know, he could have signed for more years in Milwaukee as well. And he wanted the flexibility of opting out early after two years. So it uh, wouldn't surprise me at all if he sacrificed, you know, even if he didn't think he'd get $17 million, you know, his, or $18 million his last year of his th- current deal uh, on the open market. I'm, I think he's a guy who'd be willing to do that at, for, as you said, uh, to get more long-term security. And, you know, he gets buckets. I mean, he's a good player. Even if you want to use him as a six-man, um, that's not a $5 million a year player, right, if you're going to no. play a guy 20, 25 minutes as a six-man. So I think he's gonna, still going to get um, I think, yeah, I mean, four years, 60, I mean, I certainly, he could get that and keep in mind, he's only going to be, I think 27 next summer. So he's, you know, going to be in a, in a good age range to get, you know, another, another, uh, longer deal. Um, I think as far as MCW goes, I think eight's actually a good number. Um, you know, eight to 10, you know, maybe the Delhi number is a good over under, yeah. uh, cause again, nine, $10 million a year. That's, you're not expected to start at that type of money. Um, and for the Bucks, I mean, his qualifying offer, or sorry, his his cap hold is a little over seven. I think it's uh, right around eight million dollars. Um, and to me, that probably is a good over under for for what he signs for. Uh, I think obviously the question is, you know, if he comes off the bench as a great six man, you know, could somebody give him a little bit more? <clears throat> but I think I, I would be very surprised if a team goes out and, and offers him, you know, a lot of money to be a starter. Like I, I, I just get the feeling he's probably not going to get you know looked at as a starter for another team next summer but i guess we'll see um the draft is also loaded with point guards i believe um top level point guards and it's probably the you know arguably the deepest position in the game right now so uh it's it's tough uh if you're a point guard and as you mentioned in the last podcast too with the bucks being pretty much capped out next summer barring something unforeseen um you know the bucks might be interested in bringing him back they don't necessarily have a lot of options to, to spend money in free agency. So, um, we had a couple of late breaking questions, Eric. So I want to slip these in before we leave. Um, All right. Yeah, I know we gotta we gotta speak off top of our heads, which is really shouldn't be expected of people of our intelligence. But <laughs> uh, Nate Andrews asks, "Have you guys done an over under Giannis triple doubles yet? Will anybody else record a triple dub this year?" That's from Nate. You love over-unders, so, I mean, if ever you should be expected to speak spontaneously, I feel like this would be the question to, to do it. What, what, what say you? What, he had five last year and basically effectively 28 games of being a starting point guard? Does he um, double that this year? More? Give me 11. I'll, I'll, I'll say 11 as the over-under. Where are you going, Frank? <sighs> that feels like a pretty good number. Um, God, that is a crazy number. For, like, again, can we step back for a moment and just sort of appreciate <laughs> that we're having a conversation about Giannis, who is 21 years old, and we're debating whether he's going to get more or fewer than 11 triple doubles in his age 21 season. I would That's love to step awesome. back and just just bask in it. I'll bask in it for a little Let's, while. I'm okay if we with could, it. you know, go if we could go back in time and tell 2013 Frank and Eric that this would be the conversation we're having, <laughs> we'd be pretty pretty excited for the next couple of years um well i took you may recall when we did our over-unders podcast i took the under on Giannis getting seven assists per game you did um I, i'm gonna go just under i'll be the pessimist and then i'll be really happily surprised when he gets like you know 15 which i think i think westbrook had something like 15 or 18 or something like that last year so that would put him in very elite company but i'll say make 10 i'll go slight under oh man this is brutal um, what a great line! Whoever set that one. Um, let me go with. I'll take the over. 
Um, and I'll and I'll go with thirteen. Uh, I I I feel pretty good about that. He's we as we've noted, he's a bit of an assist chaser. Um, yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, which helps out anyone looking for triple doubles. Um, I also would would think would I would think the stack keepers in the Bradley Center would be uh, aware of any situation uh, where Giannis is chasing a triple double, and I say that with quite a bit of confidence, considering they gave Michael Carter Williams two of or gave Giannis two of MCW's assists in the Warriors <laughs> game that they won. Um so I feel I feel good about that. Um there could be some friendly assists, let's say, uh in the Bradley Center this year. So I'm gonna I'll take the I'll take the over there. Alright, I think you convinced me to take the over. I mean yeah. he's gonna have the ball all the time with Middleton yeah. out, right? All those Middleton pick and rolls yep. are going to someone else, mostly Giannis. Um Granted, he doesn't have Middleton to pass to, though. That's that's maybe the, it does hurt the hard part. But he does have Sky Miles, so uh, true. Um, oh, okay. did you just think uh, of that? Anyone... Did you hear that from someone else? That's really good. Sky Miles? No, yeah. that's that's floated around. I don't know why it's never gotten more traction. It's good. That's uh, really good. And I fly Delta all the time, so Sky yeah. Miles is. Uh, How are they not is, on top of this? Why is that not in floating around the Bradley Center or Frontier? Probably. I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Um... Will anybody else get a triple double this year for the Bucks? I don't even know who would have. Jab- MCW. Jabari. That's the only other guy. What's that? Jabari. No, I can't see Jabari getting a triple double. Yeah, I don't. No, I'll say no. I don't even. Yeah. I mean, Jabari could get one for like you know points, rebounds, and like missed pick and roll coverages or something like that. But I don't oh, think Frank. We're having such a good podcast. I know. I know. That was. So, I'm. I'm sorry, Jabari. I love you. <laughs> I'm rooting for you. Uh, I, I think MCW could get one for sure. I mean, he he got one. He almost got. Didn't he almost get like a quadruple double in his first game? He had like nine steals or something like that yeah, in his first it, game. It, yeah. They beat the Heat, I think, in in Philly in his first ever game. Um, I'll, I'll pick. I'll pick MCW to get an odd triple double. He'll get a triple double this year, I think. Man, I'm. Remember when we were asked why we were so mean to triple double, to to MCW? And I feel like now we're just totally yeah, coming agreed. back the other way. Now we're just riding that that MCW train. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm looking at just some of these other random questions that have come in. Uh, David Cato the Potato asks, which bobblehead will look least like its human counterpart? Who are the bobbleheads? Do you know that? Uh, I think I saw Jabari, Giannis. I, they were Bucks were sending out emails about him. I don't know who else might get one. Um, but which who who else? Just not based on actual bobbleheads, but which player do you think? Which would be the hardest to capture? Um, yeah. Hmm. That's really good. Um, I bet if I bet if Toledovich ever had a bobblehead, I mean he won't. But if they ever had a Toledovich bobblehead, it would just be like the most generic white dude bobblehead. Yeah, that seems fair. Um, I feel like it, you could screw up a jet bobblehead because his headband would be difficult to capture. <laughs> like the headband might like be too large or too thin, and that might just throw off his entire look. Um, but actually, see, I would argue that people who have like accessories are are easier to make them look lives. like. Yeah, because all you need, I, you would just put give them like a goatee, bald head, and a headband, and and high like, socks, and you're good. His, it's perfect. Yeah, and the rest of his thing wouldn't even need to look that much like him. Yeah, that's so. probably fair. Miles Plumley seems weirdly difficult to capture. That's true. Like he go. like he got a different haircut this year, and he. I didn't even recognize him at, at media day. So if that slight of a change can make him look not like himself, 
Good luck on a bobblehead. Mm. I feel like Thon Maker's bobblehead look. Thon's kind of a let's say this. Thon Maker's a unique looking person. He is. And to make his bobblehead, they will probably need to use like the smallest size bobble they have. Yeah. Because he has like a very very small head relative to how enormous of a human being he is. Agreed. Um, other than that, I feel like a Delavadova bobblehead could go really wrong really quickly. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm just gonna leave it at that. I'm just yeah. gonna leave it at that. I'm not gonna. Let's just leave it at that. And then uh, the last question that I think we should cover for today, uh, we'll finish it off with uh, Jonathan Sugarbread. Uh, another question <laughs> from from Sugarbread. Uh, he asks, what HBO show would John Henson star in? <laughs> Ooh. I was So I was giving this some thought because I knew I was going to ask you it and I didn't put it in the list. So I'll, I'll, I'll talk talk through this a little bit. Game of Thrones is my favorite HBO show, but I'm not going to say Game of Thrones. Um, there, there's like no, there's like no black people in Game of Thrones. I feel like there's like the yeah. Unsullied, and that's it. I feel like it's a very white show, which is unfortunate. But anyway, not to talk about the racial. Also, politics most of, of TV, but that's fine. yeah, most of TV. Um, John Henson, I could see him. So he's from. He's like grew up mostly and went to high school, I guess, in Tampa. He goes back there every summer. He's an athlete. I think he has a good sense of humor. So I'm going to go back to a show that isn't on anymore, but which I enjoyed on HBO, Eastbound and Down. Okay, I like that. And I feel like he could have some interesting – because I feel like he could be a funny foil for Kenny Powers, who is, you know, an overweight, you know, kind of – somewhat bigoted hick um i feel like john henson could be a good foil for that and i believe that show takes place in like tampa area doesn't it like, yeah it takes i place think someplace, it's florida someplace in florida right um so i feel like john henson could add some comic relief could have added some comic relief to uh to to eastbound and down um i think there's only one answer in my mind and it's curb um him they, they do have a fair number of celebrity guests they do um him interacting with larry david larry david being upset with him for not showing enough emotion um and then him reacting like he would in the grizzlies game like i feel like i feel like that grizzlies game could have been an episode of curb like could you, i could just imagine larry david after the game being like what are you doing no you got you got all this energy where did this come from and just freaking out um so i could see him on curb he could play with jb smooth could play well off of him um curb that's my that's my answer was, yeah there and there have been some nba people in curb uh mugsy bogues had a good cameo yep. do you remember that one yep uh shack had yep. a good cameo where he larry david tripped him uh once <laughs> um actually random story a guy i knew uh in boston once went to a celtics playoff game and he was sitting there in the i don't know it was like he had like good seats and he is coming back to a seat or something like that, and he's got like a beer or something like that. And you know, some of these things were like he's trying to get in through the row and ends up long story short, he spills his beer on like the people in front of him. Okay. And of and of course he's like horrified, you know, because he's just spilled beer on a bunch of people. The person in front of him turns around and it's Larry friggin' David. No way. Spilling beer on a dude at a Celtics game and it's Larry David. And the thing is, I don't even remember what he how he reacted probably not well 
Um, but I guess he was there. I want to say he was there with Mark Ruffalo because they were like filming a movie in Boston or something like that. And oh, that's I guess too perfect. Mark Ruffalo was was nice. Mark Ruffalo was born in Wisconsin. Don't think he's a Bucks fan, but anyway. Uh, that's right. an episode of Curb. Like I feel like that's yeah. just an episode. Like Larry David gets a beer spilled on him. That's an episode. That's an episode of Curb. Um, okay, I think we've gone way too too long on this one. I yeah, don't know you think, Frank? You think we yeah, have this? This may be like part four that we're ending on of this <laughs> podcast series, but we probably need to just throw it in uh, all on one day, just because we got actual games coming next week. So, anyway, thanks so much for asking the questions, folks. Hopefully. Uh, you got some some decent answers, and uh, please uh, subscribe to us, uh, review us on iTunes. We'll we'll give shout outs uh, for all of our friends who are kind enough to give us those five star written reviews. And uh, I think that's it. Hopefully, uh, we'll have a report back from Sunday's uh, fan fest and open scrimmage, and we'll get you ready for the preseason opener on Monday. Have a great weekend, guys. Take care.